We're taking a little break from our study through the Gospel of Matthew just for a couple weeks. Let's open just in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Pray for our children downstairs and over in the nursery, Lord, that you'd watch over them and, and just open their hearts to your word as, and fill the teachers with your spirit, Lord, that they would be able to communicate your word to their, their hearts and their minds. And, um, Father, that these young children would learn to love you and grow up to serve you. That's our true desire. And, Father, we pray this morning that you would now just open our hearts to the glories of heaven as uh, we share our time together in your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's talk about heaven. Uh, Today we're going to look at what and where is heaven. In way of introduction, um, I think sometimes it's so easy for us to forget how temporary uh, this life is. We tend to live as if nothing will ever change sometimes, um, as if life will just keep on going as it always has, and we think that there's always going to have, we're always going to have a tomorrow. But every now and then, uh, reality breaks through, and we see our lives for what they are, but a fleeting moment. Uh, James 4, verses 13 and 14 says, Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet do you not know what, you do not know what tomorrow will bring? What is your life? For you are a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, those of you who are history buffs, there's a wonderful graveyard (laughs) back in Boston Commons. It's frequently known as the Colonial Graveyard, and it's a rather fascinating place. It has many gravestones and grave monuments that mark the sites where a lot of the early Americans were buried. Um, But if you were to visit it today, you wouldn't think it was much of a tourist site because most of the stones are broken or turned over. Even in a well-kept graveyard like this, uh, even most of the names and the dates are no longer legible. And I bet you those people who went to those graves, as significant as they were in the history of our country, never imagined how short and insignificant their lives would be. Um, I imagine most of them thought they'd probably be remembered forever. But when you look at that graveyard, you see that a lot of people have truly forgotten. And the truth of it is, even our great-great-grandchildren will probably not remember even our names. It's a depressing thought when you stop and think about it. But we are here today, and we're gone tomorrow. But you know what? The Christian gospel tells us that this fleeting life on earth is not our final end. Amen? It's not the end of the book. If we are in Christ, if we have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have a glorious destiny, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Our descendants may have forgotten us in this life, but God will not forget us in the world to come. Followers of Christ receive the hope of eternal life. First of all, I just want to look at the priority of heaven. You can jump down in your notes, turn the page. It's on the back page. I think I got it out of order in your notes But this future hope gives us perspective on this life and its sufferings and its frailties. 
It gives us a destiny beyond imagination. And it should empower us to move forward in service of Christ each and every day. I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul penned this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, I want you to understand he was facing overwhelming obstacles, overwhelming persecution. I mean, you think you have it bad in your life right now. Listen a little bit about what Paul writes about himself and the situation that he finds himself in along with his co-ministers there. Look at verse uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And then jump down to verses 16 and 17. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Can I get an amen? <laughs> our inner self is being renewed day by day. For, the light, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us, listen to this, Preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, Paul is saying here, whatever we endure in this life, it can't even be compared, beloved, with the glory that it's going to be producing in the life to come. Whenever we endure hardship here, we are promised that we will be compensated in heaven. Look at verse 18. As we look not to these things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, he's trying to communicate our earthly tent, our earthly body is being torn down. I heard a quote from John Quincy Adams. Someone asked him one day how he was doing. And here's how he answered. John Quincy Adams is well, sir, very well. The house in which he has been living in is dilapidated and old. And he has received word from its maker that he must vacate soon. But John Quincy Adams is well, sir, very well. See, we forget that this body is on a downward spiral. You can go to the gym, you can take your medicine, you can take your vitamins, you can do everything you want to do. We should take care of the body. It's God's gift to us. But don't be deceived. Our earthly tent is being torn down, and when it's gone, the Bible says that we'll have a building from God, eternal in the heavens. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2. Paul begins to tell us that our body, that we indeed groan inside our house, inside this tent. We groan because of the infirmities of the flesh and the sin that we have to deal with daily. We groan because we can't be what we're longing to be in Christ. We're held back. We're debilitated in these bodies. And we are not the only ones that groan, but Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says that all of creation groans. They eagerly await the revealing of the sons of God. We should be 
longing to be clothed in our heavenly body, in our glorified state. And this is what he says here in verses 2 to 4 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For in this body or tent we groan, longing to put our, on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we, we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. See, even though we're burdened down with sin and sickness and sorrow and death in this body, we don't want to be unclothed. We still want this body. We want our spirits and our bodies to enter the presence of God. And Paul yearned for heaven in his earthly body. Look at what, look at what he says in verse 5. He says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is given as a pledge for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ that one day we will be able to get a new body. We will have in the glories of heaven that new glorified body. And in verses 6 to 8, Paul mentions some practical results. He says, so we are always of good courage, he says in verse 6. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, do you find it difficult to honestly express what those verses express? Is there a tendency to hold on tightly to this world because it's all we know? You're normal, if that's the case. See, we experience some meaningful relationships here. We have children, we have wives, we have parents, we have family members and friends and neighbors. And so we become sometimes captive to this earthly life. But look at what Paul said there in verse 8. He says, at home with the Lord. At home with the Lord. See, we're at home only when we're with the Lord. I want you to understand that. That's where we belong. The Bible calls us pilgrims, foreigners in this land. And as we begin to examine what the Bible teaches about heaven, we should long for that heavenly place. We should look forward to being absent from this body that's debilitated and going downhill quickly and to be present with the Lord. We should become more occupied with the glories of eternity rather than the afflictions of today. We need to spend our energy accumulating heavenly resources, heavenly treasures, rather than amassing treasures here that are ultimately really meaningless. Someone asked a rich person, one of his friends, after the rich person died, they asked one of his friends, how much did his friend leave? And his friend said, all of it. (laughs) That's exactly what every one of us will leave, all of it. Now, I think today in our society, unfortunately, Christians have lost sight of heaven. Truly, they really have. It's almost as if they actually believe the lyrics of John 
Lennon's song, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. See, that's the society we live in today. Everybody seems to be living for themselves and for today. That's it. Rather than setting our affections on the things above, which Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 tells us to do, many of us Christians seem so attached to this earth. Rather than laying up treasures in heaven, we've decided to dedicate ourselves to accumulating treasure here on earth. And that's even crept within the church, within Christianity. All you have to do is turn on the, the TV and see some of these health and wealth prosperity gospel teachers telling everybody that Jesus wants everybody healthy, wealthy, and successful. I mean, that's popular. You wonder why people support those people, because it's a popular teaching. Because it caters to the desires, the felt needs of people who desire to have everything here, right now, in this life. And unfortunately, because the church doesn't have heaven on its mind, it tends to be selfish itself, self-centered, and even weak. present comfort consumes its thoughts. And maybe just occasionally there's passing thoughts of heaven. I want you to understand this morning that everything precious to the Christian is in heaven. Everything that is precious to us is in heaven. And I'm going to go through these rapid fire, so you got them in your notes there, so I don't even know if you want to try to turn in your Bibles. If you're quick, you can. The first thing that's in heaven, Matthew 6, 9, tells us, we sang a song about it, pray then in this way, our Father who where? Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father is the source of everything, Matthew 6, 9, and it says that he resides in heaven. Not only our Father, but secondly, Hebrews 9, 27 tells us that our Savior resides there. Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into what? Heaven itself, it says. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. So our Savior is in heaven as well. We have our Father, our Savior, also our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who've gone before us. Hebrews 12.23 says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous men made perfect. Those family members, those loved ones who've gone before you. Everyone in the Old New Testament who's believed in God has died and gone to heaven. Also, Luke 10.20 tells his disciples who were casting out demons, he says, hey, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are what? Recorded in heaven. Our names are in heaven. And by saying that, that verse indicates that Christ assures us that we have a title deed to property there. I mean, you're worrying about your investments here, you're worrying about the housing market and all that. You're not going to have to worry about that in heaven. Amen? You're not going to worry about it. Also, our inheritance is in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain what? An inheritance that describes the inheritance for us, which is imperishable and undefiled, and it will not pass away, it will not fade away. And where is it reserved? It says it's reserved in heaven for you. Our eternal inheritance, all the riches of God's glory and grace are in heaven. Not only that, but our citizenship 
is in heaven. Paul says in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. That we're, we're mere pilgrims down here. We're foreigners to this world. We have a citizenship that is in heaven and also our eternal reward is in heaven. Matthew 5.12 says that we're to consider ourselves blessed when others persecute us because our reward is in heaven when that happens. Ephesians 6.9 reminds Paul that our master is in heaven and also Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21 Jesus says that the only treasure we will possess throughout eternity is in heaven. So we can summarize rather quickly that heaven is our home if we've trusted Christ. Christians are strangers the Bible says they're pilgrims they're aliens in this world. So everything we love everything we value everything eternal is not here It's in heaven. Nevertheless, the church, I think, in this century has intended to be selfish. And many Christians have lost that heavenly perspective that the Bible encourages us to have. Too many don't want to go to heaven (laughs) until they can get everything that the world has to deliver. I'm not saying we should have a death wish. Nobody wants to die. But you know what? It sure eases death's edge when you know you're going to a place eternal with God called heaven. Only when all these earthly pursuits sometimes are exhausted and sometimes when age and even sickness cause us not to enjoy what we've enjoyed in this world as of yet, then we start pining away for heaven. But that shouldn't be that way. We should long for heaven, beloved, every day. 1 John chapter 2 says this in verse 15 and 17. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 17 says the world is passing away. See, there's many people who claim to love Christ. But really, their love of the world is overshadows their love for Christ. So much that I I would almost say they can't possibly be citizens of heaven. There's an old spiritual that says everybody's talking about heaven. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. (laughs) But I think it's also true that everyone going there isn't talking about heaven. See, the hope of heaven should fill us with the joy of anticipation. It should loosen us from this sinful ties we have with the world around us. I mean, it's easy to become attached to the world. That's all we know, as I said previously. I mean, some people don't believe there is heaven. They just think it's an imaginary place in the the mind of a child or something like that. But the Bible, beloved, says that heaven is a place. It's the eventual dwelling of all those who love God and follow Christ. And we will live there forever in complete perfection and glory. So this morning I want to look at what is heaven. The Bible refers to heaven some 550 times in Scripture. The Hebrew word translated heaven is actually a plural word. And it means the heights. The Greek word in the New Testament that's translated heaven 
We get one of the planets of our, our names of our planets from it. It refers to that which is raised up or lofty. But I want you to understand that heaven is definitely a place. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says this. He says, I know a man in Christ, he's probably talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven. So that clearly talks about this place called heaven. And there's, there's three different aspects of heaven. Sometimes when we speak of heaven, it's referring to the region usually called the troposphere, the atmosphere around the earth, the air we breathe. That's the atmospheric heaven. Isaiah 55, 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. It's talking about that first heaven, that atmospheric heaven. Psalm 147, 8 says that God covers the heavens with clouds. That's referred to the first heaven. The second heaven is known as the planetary heaven. It's the heaven where all the stars and the moons and the planets are. You get beyond our atmosphere, you get into outer space. And Scripture also mentions this as heaven. In in Genesis 1, it says, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. God made the two great lights and the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also, and God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth. That's the second heaven. Well, there's also a divine heaven, the third heaven, a place where God dwells, where his holy angels dwell, where all those who love God and trust Christ dwell, the eternal state. But it's a place. It's a place where God dwells. Isaiah 57, 15 says, Thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. Here's what he says about himself. It's God speaking. I dwell on a high and holy place. That's speaking of heaven. Isaiah 63, 15 identifies the place. He says, Look down from heaven and see from thy holy and glorious habitation. Psalm 33, verse 13 and 14 says, The Lord looks from heaven, and he sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out. So there's a place where God literally dwells, and this place is called heaven. It's the heaven of heavens, the third heaven, we'll call it. Psalm 102, 19 says, He looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord gazed upon the earth. We see those references in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, John writes, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. John describes a city as descending out of the heaven At God's command. And we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and there's almost too many verses in Matthew to even talk about here this morning. But Christ repeatedly stressed that his Father is in heaven. 
Just a couple of them here. Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is where? In heaven. In verse 34 of the same chapter, he says, Make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Verse 45 says that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. You have just a list of litany of verses there in Matthew that refer to God's place being in heaven. Well, Jesus himself even said this in John chapter 6, verse 33. He says, the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus links God and heaven. In verse 38, Christ says, I have come down out of heaven. Verse 41 and 42, he says, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. I have come down out of heaven. Verses 50 to 51 of John 6, he says, this is the bread that comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. In verse 58, he says it also, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven. See, heaven is not a figment of our imagination. It's not a feeling or emotion. It's a, it's a place. It's a literal place. It's God's place. It's so much God's place that God, in the scriptures, a lot of times, they'll refer to God as heaven. Even going through Matthew, when we've, 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 we've seen them proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Well, what's he saying? That's synonym for saying the kingdom of God. See, a lot of times, the Jewish people didn't want to even utter the word the name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. They, they, they didn't like using that covenant name of God because it was too holy. So instead, they decided, you know what? In, instead of God saying God, we're going to say heaven. And you can see examples of that throughout the Old and New Testament. So by the New Testament time came around, the practice was so ingrained in the Jewish people's mind that they understood any reference when it said the kingdom of heaven. It's simply a reference to the kingdom of God. It's one and the same. Well, it's not only just a place, this heaven we're talking about, but it's also a domain. It's also a domain. Ephesians chapter 1 says this in verse 3. Ephesians 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Where? It says, in the heavenlies or in the heavenly places. Now, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verses 4 and 6. Notice there, even in in, in Ephesians 1 verse 3, It says, who has blessed us, past tense, okay, past tense, verses 4 and 6 of chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, raised us up past tense, seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All those actions there are in the past tense. Although we're not in heaven yet, we are in the heavenlies. (laughs) 
We're continually being sanctified day by day, but heaven is where God lives and rules, and we are called to live in that domain. We're not called to live in a domain by our own rights and our own rules or this world's rules and regulations. Remember, we're not citizens here. Our citizenship is not here. That doesn't mean we don't obey those in authority over us because the Bible tells us that we're supposed to do that, the civil authorities and whatnot. But we aren't in that place called heaven yet. But we are under the dominion of the king of heaven. That's what it means to come to Christ. That's what it means to come to a savior. When you come to Christ, you acknowledge your own sinfulness before a holy God. And you, you cry out to God, Lord, save me. I want to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as my, my savior. I want to put my agenda aside. I want him to be the Lord of my life. That's what it means to be converted. That's what it means to be transformed from Darkness into light. All of those expressions refer to salvation. Whenever someone believes in Christ, he enters the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He comes under God's rules. Not in heaven, literally, because we're still here, but in the heavenly domain. That's important to understand because there's a lot of so-called Christians today that think that they can come to Christ for a savior but leave the Lord part for some other time. That's not what the Bible says. When you come to Christ, you come to God for salvation through Christ. You come to Christ as Savior and Lord. Heaven will be this new community of holiness and fellowship with God. It will be a place of joy, peace, love, fulfillment. And we can experience some of that now because the Spirit, who He's given as a deposit within us, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, 23, tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is, not the fruits. These are not things that you can pick and choose to have as a Christian, like you're picking you know, apples and oranges off a tree. No, it's singular, the fruit of the Spirit, but it lists them as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, those are characteristics that exist in heaven, but they are available to us even now. When we sang that song by Fanny Crosby, Blessed Assurance, there's words in there, a foretaste of glory divine. It's just a foretaste. We're just tasting a little bit of heaven. As Christians here, we know the joy and peace and goodness and blessing of God. We just know a little bit of what is coming down the road when we leave this earth and are ushered into God's presence for all eternity. See, when we become a Christian, we become part of a new family, a new kind of community. We've left the kingdom of darkness and we've entered the kingdom of light. We're no longer under the dominion of Satan, but we're under the dominion of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, If any man is in Christ, he's what? A new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are new creations. We are members of a new family. Rather than remaining the children of Satan, we have become the children of God. Galatians chapter 4, verse 26 says that Jerusalem is our mother, referring not to the earthly Jerusalem, but to the Jerusalem where God rules. Philippians 3.20 says we have a new citizenship. Colossians 3.1 says that we should have new affections set above. We have a new storehouse where a new treasure is awaiting us in Matthew chapter 6. 
So this place called heaven is not a figment of our imagination. It's a real place. And we have to get back to the business of believing that it's a real place. Because you know what? If you believe that heaven is a real place, it's going to affect you as a Christian in a myriad of ways. One way, you know what? Every time your body creaks and groans and whatever, man, you can look forward to heaven because it's not going to happen there. I mean, you're going to be able to wake up and just, hey, man, I'm going to hop right out of bed if you get to sleep in heaven. I think maybe we'll be able to sleep and rest in heaven. I don't know. I mean, Jesus had a glorified body. Look at what he was able to do when he was walking around down here on earth. He could eat. Amen? You can eat in heaven. Somebody said, are you going to be able to eat in heaven? I think so. But the neat thing is you won't have to eat for sustenance. But I think you will eat. So I think food is something God created for us to enjoy. Amen? Good. Somebody amen. I was wondering, man, you guys asleep out there or what? But it's going to affect the way you, you look at this. If you look forward to heaven, man, you're going to believe in it. You're going to realize that, you know what? One day, my body is going to be transformed. Yeah, you've got to go through the process of dying, which is not a fun thing. It's just not. I was with Bob, this, Bob Noda this past week and watched his uncle pass away in the hospital. It's hard. It's hard to realize that one day the heart that has so faithfully served you, whether you have heart problems or not, do you imagine? I mean, your heart continues to beat. That's just amazing to me. Your lungs continue to breathe in air, exhale. But you know what? There's going to come a day, beloved, when those things stop. The heart will stop pumping. The lungs will stop moving. Brain activity will slow down and cease. It's called death. And pending the Lord's return, we're all going to meet it. But see, the key is, is are you ready? Are you ready for that moment in time? Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, well, I'm just young. I'm not, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. Well, that's kind of funny even to say that. I don't plan on dying anytime soon. Do you think you're a master of your own fate? I always tell people, you know what? Everybody dies right on time. A little infant, when you're comforting a, a parents in the hospital, they lose their newborn infant. Hey, Everybody dies on time. Or you're dealing with an elderly gentleman who's 90 plus years old. Everybody dies on time. That should help you sleep at night as a Christian. To realize that, you know what, that God's marked your days. Your death doesn't catch God by surprise. It's not like when you die, the day you die, God, oh no, oh wait, we've got to hurry up, get, a, get him up here. You know? No, God has it all planned out. And that's not a fatalistic View, that's just the truth. We serve a, a sovereign God. I mean, he knows how many hairs or lack thereof are on our heads. He knows everything about us. And he's prepared a place for us. Well, where is heaven? Can we know where it's at? I think we can. I think we can because the Bible tells us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12... Verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. 
When Paul said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught where? Caught up. You say, well, where is heaven? I don't know exactly where it's at, but I do know one thing. It's up. (laughs) It's up. Heaven is an actual place, just like Redwood City is. It's impossible to chart heaven's longitude and latitude. It can't even be located geographically in our space and time. But it's a place where people who have glorified bodies like Christ's resurrected body will actually live. As I said, Christ could eat, drink, walk, talk in his resurrected body. He could be touched. He could recognize when he allowed himself to be. Heaven is a real place. Where is it at? It's up. It says that he got caught up to the third heaven. Ephesians 4, verses 8 and 10 points out that when Jesus came to earth, how does it say he came? He came from heaven. Well, how did he come? Did he come up from heaven? No, he came down. He descended from heaven. And when he returned, he went up. He ascended. Acts 1 tells us that Jesus ascended into heaven while the disciples watched and the two angels said, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. We've been studying about the end times, a little bit about the tribulation. Well, before all that starts, there's going to be something called the rapture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, says that the Lord will catch us up into heaven. When God examines his creatures, as we've seen earlier in the Psalms, he always looks down. He never looks up. You don't find a verse saying, oh, God's looking up to earth. No, he's always looking down. The apostle John in Revelation 4.1 saw a door in heaven and heard a voice inviting him to come up. God pictured, or John pictured the new Jerusalem the eternal home of the saints is coming down out of heaven. So we know where it's at. It's up. <laughs> so I don't know if you like heights or not. I'm thinking you're not going to have to worry about that in the glorified state. But get ready. Because if the Lord comes back, he's going to take us up. Or if we die and we go into the grave, our spirits go to be with the Lord immediately. Well, how, where, what's the distance of heaven? How far is it? From the earth's surface and extending upwards seven to ten miles is a region that we talked about, the first heaven, called the troposphere. Extending beyond that is the stratosphere. Extending beyond that, approximately 50 miles, they call that the mesosphere. Extending beyond that 250 miles is the ionosphere. Extending beyond that to the outer limits of the planet's atmosphere is the exosphere. And beyond that, they just say, well, that's just infinite space. Well, beyond all of that, that's where heaven is. That's how far away it is. John, you'll like this. During 17... During 1973 and 74, the Pioneer spacecraft passed Jupiter, which is miles, which is millions of miles from the Earth. Our most recent satellites are designed to even go further. 
But last time I checked, none of them have reached heaven. The moon is 252,000 miles from Earth, but it's still relatively close. If you walk 24 miles a day, theoretically, you could arrive there in about 28 years. But you wouldn't be much closer to heaven. A ray of light travels from the Earth to the moon in approximately 1.5 seconds because it's traveling at 186,000 miles per second. Perhaps if we could travel at that incredible speed, we could reach heaven. Traveling 186,000 miles per second, we would arrive on the planet Mercury in about 4 minutes, 30 seconds, because it's 57 million miles from Earth. As we traveled to Mercury, we would reach Venus, which is in about 2 minutes, 20 seconds, because it's only 26 million miles away. To span the 390 million miles between Earth and Jupiter would take about 35 minutes. The 793 million miles to Saturn would take about an hour and 10 minutes. Uranus, the name for the Greek word which means heaven, is about 1.5 billion miles away. Neptune is 2.7 billion miles away. Pluto, which I guess they don't technically call a planet anymore, is billion more than that. But after traveling all that distance, we would still be just on the front porch of our solar system and still within our own galaxy. The Earth is one of the nine planets revolving around the sun. Its diameter is 8,000 miles and its estimated mass is about 6.6 times 1,021 tons. The mass of sphere revolves on its axis remaining 93 million miles away from our sun. The sun has a diameter of about 864,000 miles and a mass of 332,000 times larger than the Earth. But it's only one star in a galaxy of billions. See, it's, it's, you're talking about such massive measurements here, it's hard to understand. But you know what? Beyond all those places, there's a place called heaven. And Jesus himself said clearly, even to the thief who was dying on the cross alongside of him, he said, you know what? Hold on, because you're about ready to go for an incredible ride. You put your faith and trust in me, because Jesus said to that thief on the cross, who, by the way, Probably wasn't a church member. By the way, he probably wasn't baptized. By the way, you know, you could go right down the list. He was on the cross for a reason. He was a thief. But with his dying breath, he reached out to a loving Savior who forgave him because Jesus told him, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Talk about a road trip. I mean, I don't know if you like to go on road trips, travel, or not in the car. I, I kind of enjoy that kind of stuff. Been across the country several times, back and forth. It's fun. Some people just hate it, though. As soon as you get in the car, two miles down the road, are we there yet? How long is this going to take? <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if the trip's an hour or, or, or three days. They're asking that question, and it never stops. It's like, hey, just relax. Enjoy the trip. 
Well, we're not even going to have time, beloved, when we're taken out of this, this earth, either by death or the Lord's return, to say, are we there yet? As soon as we open our mouths, we're going to be in the presence of God. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. Christ shared with his disciples in John 14. He's about ready to leave them here on earth. And he, he didn't want them to be worried. And he said this, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's houses are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is preparing a place where we will live in a glorified state in a physical form similar to that of the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. He walked, he ate, he sang, talked. But he also ascended through space into the third heaven. He walked through walls. did all sorts of things. We should be longing for that city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We need to remember, beloved, that heaven is a real place and we will live there forever with Christ. I want to ask you this morning, has your desire for heaven weakened? Is heaven and the presence of God less of a motivation to you than it used to be? I pray that you would ask God to renew your desire for heaven. Because it not only encourages you as a believer in Christ to something to look forward to, but it also gives you motivation to reach out and to invite others to come along with you, to share the gospel. When you believe there's a place where we can be transformed from this earthly sinful body into the presence of God to live forever. But it doesn't happen magically. It happens because people put their faith, their trust in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that you would be open to God's word. Be open to his spirit calling your heart. Father, we ask this morning that as we look forward to our time in heaven with you, Lord, you've left us here on this earth for a purpose. And it doesn't matter whether we have years left or days left or weeks. There's purpose in our living here on this earth. Because God, all of us will die on time and will only die when your purpose for us here on this earth is done. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us the motivation to live for you each and every day. That you would give us the wisdom we need to know how to separate the worlds in which we live. We have to work, we have to maintain relationships here, we have to still live here on this earth. But Lord, help us not to be captivated by that. Help us to look forward, to set our minds, our hearts on things above. That we would look forward to that time when we are transformed from this this earthly body, whether by your coming or by death, and brought gloriously into your presence. 
to remain with you forever. That ticket's available to anybody who would put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Turn away from themselves. Turn to God. Yield your life over to the Lord. Acknowledge Him as your Lord and Savior. He'll save you here this morning. Cry out to Him, be merciful to me, a sinner. Father, we thank you for our time here. We pray that you would just bless us throughout the rest of the day. And Father, we look forward to being in your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.